Today's podcast is brought to you by Ryan, a leading global tax service and software provider that helps companies manage and minimize property taxes from acquisition to disposition and all points in between. As the firm with the most local market property tax professionals across the country, Ryan has experience in nearly every jurisdiction, unmatched by any other national, regional, or local provider. Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Good afternoon, David. How are you? I am doing all right. Happy New Year. How are you? Yes, Happy New Year. Our first podcast in 2021. Even though it was only one digit change, I'm hoping for big change, right? Yeah, let's hope that... uh... (laughs) New year, new, new us, new everything, hopefully. Yeah. New something. And and I'll tell you what, there is something new for today's podcast. You've got a guest on, and that is Sam Isaacson. Why did you bring Sam on the show today? So yes, Sam Isaacson, who is the president of Walker and Dunlop Investment Partners. And um, just given their position in the market and some of their strategies, I thought it would be really interesting, um, especially first show of the year to get some some insights from Sam. So Sam, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on. So I'm president of uh, Walker and Dunlop Investment Partners. We are the investment management group within the broader Walker and Dunlop public company. Um, As you may know, they're one of the largest real estate, commercial real estate finance companies in the country, uh, publicly traded, Mm -hmm. about a thousand employees across the country. And we are, we're kind of a smaller um, subsidiary within within the company, but we we manage about $1.3 billion of, of capital on behalf of institutional investors. And we're investing out of a lot of different strategies uh, on the debt and the equity side. Yeah. So given that, given, you know, you are working with a certain kind of capital class that you mentioned, invest institutions, what is your mission and what do you, what do you see as the opportunities? I think, I think you've talked to, I think my understanding is that you're looking at some opportunistic and some value add strategies in the near future. So curious to hear a bit about what you're seeing in the market and how you think that how you're kind of like sourcing those sort of opportunities right now. And especially, you know, given how extraordinary um, the smell. Yeah, no, for sure. So we, uh, we are constantly in the market with, with new products for, for, for investors, not just institutional investors, but all investors, um, you know, broad, not all investors, but a very broad range of investors that are interested in, in commercial real estate in the U S and we, we primarily focus on on middle middle market real estate assets, and that's you know the way we kind of determine middle market is kind of sub 100 million in asset individual asset value, and we in, we like the middle market. We like kind of the smaller deals that are that are historically owned by mom and pop operators, uh, just because of we can just find we can find more attractive opportunities and and. And to your point, we 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 have a lot of different products. We're we're doing opportunistic. We're doing value add. We have core plus. Uh, we have debt products, and you know we 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 really invest up and down the capital stack with our different vehicles. Uh, so whether it's debt or equity, and then across almost all the different property sectors in commercial real estate. So industrial and multifamily, and we're doing selectively, obviously, you know, retail and hospitality right now, and office. Um, but self-storage, student housing, senior housing. So we're, we're really kind of across all sectors. And 
you know, one of the things that we find really interesting right now in this in this marketplace, more broadly speaking, and why we think kind of middle market commercial real estate makes a ton of sense is that people and investors are st- are starved right now for for yield and for income, mm-hmm. and we're able to deliver that through our various products. And you know, it's granted the macro environment. There's a lot of noise. Um, which creates volatility, which in, in our view is bringing us opportunities um, every day. And, you know, we leverage technology and we leverage the broader Walker and Dunlop platform in terms of deal sourcing and access to all the major markets across the country and sponsors that are every day living and breathing at a very micro level, their, their individual markets. So, uh, and we're able to take advantage of those, that, that deal flow and the opportunities that come to us. Uh, and, and, you know, look, we're, we're being thoughtful right now because of of everything going on at a macro level. So we're we're definitely structuring a lot of our investments to protect investors' capital. You know, so depending on, you know, for example, in our value add fund, we're maybe a little risk more risk off in terms of structure. So we're uh, we're still doing value add deals and taking that risk, but but maybe the structure is a little bit more risk off. So you you mentioned that you're looking across. You know, they invest across all property types, all the core commercial real estate types, and some of the alternatives. Um, are you particularly? Are you? Are there ones that you're a little more aggressive on, or more 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 interested in right now than others? So yes, I mean broadly speaking, you know we're we're not. I guess yes and no. I mean we have a little bit of kind of. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth, so I apologize for that. But we <laughs> we like industrial and we like multifamily, as do a lot of investors. Uh, we like it a lot. We've been long those two sectors for a number of years, and pricing in industrial and multifamily has increased post COVID, as opposed to kind of pre COVID. However, mm-hmm. the 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 tailwinds still remain very strong in both of those sectors. So we will continue to be long those sectors. We can still find very good income in those sectors, uh, depending on where we invest in in the capital stack. That being said, you know we're poking, a, we're we're starting to spend a lot more time looking at some of the distressed sectors, hospitality and and retail in particular, because there will be blunt, there will be good buying opportunities and good entry points in those sectors. I mean, let's. People eventually will get back to traveling. Hospitality will will start. Demand will start to pick up. Uh, retail is interesting as well. I mean, look, you know, even though COVID, we as a result of COVID, we saw a pretty big uptick in the demand for e-commerce. Uh, it still has decreased recently, and still something like eighty five percent of retail sales is all um, brick and mortar stores. So there still is a pretty big demand in in brick and mortar retail and you know, you have to be thoughtful and careful and, and, and we're not going to go, go do an entire fund in retail. At least that's not our intention right now, but, uh, but there are some interesting opportunities. This is kind of my point. <laughs> and, and what's your primary way for like sourcing deals, especially and right now, I don't know if you're limited in travel or not. How, how are you actually um, finding assets and then how are you assessing them and, 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 and making the kind of uh, uh, choices for, for things to add. One of the benefits that we have of being part of the Walker and Dunlop platform is that, you know, there are over 200 bankers and brokers across the country and over 40 different offices across the country. And every single one of them has 
dozens of relationships with really good kind of quality middle market sponsors that are focused on specific markets and specific sectors and specific kind of business plans within those sectors. So, you know, I'm a value add multifamily guy, or I'm a ground up retail sponsor, or I'm a, you know, value add industrial guy. And, you know, the, the benefit that we have, even though we're a um, kind of a small fund manager at this point, um, we, we punch a lot, you know, we punch way above our weight, just given the sourcing capabilities that we have as part of the Walker and yeah. Dunlop family. You know, the, the other piece of that is as a broader organization, we've been spending a lot of time on technology. I mean, you know, real estate historically is, and, and even to this day is still, um, there is still an illiquid asset class, uh, generally speaking, but the amount of data that is available to today in 2021 versus 20 years ago is, is just incredible. Um, and so we invest a lot in, you know, for example, you know, there's more data now on tracking um, cell phone usage at a retail center. And so you just get more data, the more data you get, the better you can get at, at buying the right assets. There's obviously more data on, you know, migration patterns, you know, as it relates to, to, you know, housing. And so you, you can, be ahead of the curve in terms of picking a particular submarket or market. You know, if you had been studying the data, you would have known that Boise was going to become extremely hot during COVID and, you know, jumping in there as early as you can would have been, you know, would have been a good idea. So that that's the kind of stuff that we're spending more time as an organization uh, investing in so we can just get better and we're picking the right, in, you know, micro assets, if you will. Are there any, any kind of data sources that, that you, that you, that people normally wouldn't think about that, that you look at in terms of trying to, trying to spot some of these things. It, it's not really uh, so much about that. There's, we have data that nobody else has. It's more about how you accumulate that data and pull it together. And that's, that's really been the kind of the, some of the breakthroughs that have happened recently in the real estate technology space that we've seen, which is you've got, you know, tons of different data sources and a lot of people know they're out there. Maybe you don't subscribe to all of them, but what we've been investing in is is the, the platforms to kind of mine all that data, pull it all together into one source of truth, if you will, and then you're able to start um, kind of manipulate it, manipulating that data and looking at that data at a, at a collectively, if you will. Um, so that, that that's right. more interesting. Sort of like the the signal from the noise kind of thing. That's right. Like, like you know, being able to be, be able to, you know, there's more information than ever. But how do you actually parse that into something that you can act on. Exactly right. Um, and then on, on the other side of the, you know, your investors, is there a minimum investment? Um, and, and how are you sourcing and communicating with investors these days? So um, it's a good question because, you know, a lot of the institutional investors uh, during COVID took a pause on any sort of uh, underwriting, any new managers. And we really had to focus mostly on, on re-upping existing investors. Um, that has started to loosen up a little bit as more and more institutional investors have realized that they, you know, they have to kind of adapt to, to the new normal. They can't just continue to only invest with existing managers. But in terms of, you know, how we're sourcing um, investors hasn't really changed. You know, it, the honestly, like just other than the, the on-site due diligence that investors want to do, and that's appropriate, and we, you know, we welcome that that is obviously still a little bit challenging to do, but 
leveraging video conferencing and, and, and the like has been actually kind of an interesting boost in terms of our ability to get in front of uh, investors. I mean, you used to, you take a, you know, a week trip to the East coast and you'd have three or four meetings and now you can sit in your, you know, your home office and, and meet, meet those investors face to face, even though it's not in person, you still get a, you know, a, a, a decent personal touch. So we're, that, that part, we, we actually appreciate just being able to get a little bit more face time with investors that maybe we wouldn't have gotten as much of um, previously. You know, minimum check size to answer your question there, it varies by fund. You know, we don't have any sort of like vehicles yet that are really geared towards just pure, pure retail. But, you know, that not saying that's coming or not coming, but it, it as an organization, we want to continue to be able to deliver middle market commercial real estate investment opportunities to a broader range of investors. And that's that's something that we are we will continue to evolve and continue to work on on on, on building out. Switching gears a little bit, we're, we're sitting at a um, we're about to have a new president and a, and a new Congress that now is, you know, based on I was a little surprised prized by the results of the Georgia runoff that now we're actually going to have um, effective, you know, even though it's a 50-50 Senate, the effective Democratic control. Is there anything now from like the governmental perspective that you're keeping an eye on, like that now that we're going to have a Democratic, um, you know, tri-party power at least for two years um, and what kind of opportunities or risks that might present? A couple things jumped to mind. You know, I think the first one is is just I think as a lot of investors are keeping a pretty pretty watchful eye on what what sort of stimulus is coming and what does that mean you know unemployment claims are still very high they're still higher than they were at the peak of the last normal recession if you will um, the great financial crisis and there's more stimulus that's needed and that impacts real estate obviously and 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 it impacts real estate in different ways, depending on the type of stimulus. So we're keeping a pretty, we're watching that. And I, you know, maybe there's more stimulus that's gonna come now with a democratic controlled government versus a, versus if it was a Republican and, you know, Republican Senate and then, you know, the um, democratic house and presidency, but it, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, I think everybody in Washington is trying to do what they think is best for the American people. And I think, Ultimately, we are hopeful as real estate investors that there is there is more stimulus coming, and so we're we're keeping an eye there. And but the volatility in the meantime, obviously, again, kind of presents presents some some interesting opportunities for for us. So we continue to kind of look at it through that lens. The other thing that's just noteworthy is, you know, you have days like yesterday, obviously, um, and you have institutional investors outside of the US that see that kind of news. And I don't think anybody on anybody really felt unsafe in the US, but it, there is a perception around it. So that that's something that that will come up uh, as a result of, of events like yesterday, uh, when institutional investors outside the US are looking at investing in US commercial real estate. So, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that we're hitting that addressing that kind of head on and not, and not avoiding it because we don't want mm-hmm. to have the institutional investors outside of the use have, have any sort of perception of, of their investment being unsafe or that there's, there's a, there's a risk 
um, another risk factor with U.S. real estate that they hadn't had to worry about previously. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just for for our listeners, you know, for context, you're probably hearing this early, you know, the week of the tenth, and we're obviously recording this on Thursday the seventh. So it's the day after the um, the incidents at the Capitol building, to put it um, very mildly. Mildly, um, but that's just to just to just to situate ourselves in in time, since there's a little gap between when we record this and and when um, when our when the folks at home or at, at their businesses are, are hearing yes, us. Perfect. So I, th- I think one other another another thing that we flagged before we we jumped on the recording was um, the way that you're looking at uh, small businesses and um, bankruptcies and and small business formation in in the time you know in, in the time of COVID and what's been happening with that. So curious how that's what your takeaways from that are and how that's like uh, how that also informs your investment strategies. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's, um, you know, obviously a really sad, you know, it's been really sad for a number of small businesses in this country over the last year. Very, very terrible. The number of of bankruptcies and um, businesses that are just permanently closed, you know, particularly the, you know, the restaurant sector has been hit extremely, extremely hard um, and other aspects of the retail sector as well, just to name a few. I mean, obviously it's been a pretty broad um, it's been a, it's, it's been pretty broad pain. So I'm not trying to minimize anybody individually, but, you know, we, we, as a firm, we're very fortunate in that we, we were fairly bearish on, on retail and hospitality for a number of years pre COVID. So we, we didn't really have much exposure, but, um, we are looking, and so I'll back up for, for one second. On the industrial side, we also had a we 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 own a lot of industrial, and some of that industrial is warehousing distribution, which has been which has been great and has been boosted even further um, as a result of um, COVID and even the up, up, uptick in e-commerce. We were a little bit concerned early on into coming into COVID on some of the small bay industrial assets that we owned, you know, those are small businesses, more established than, than, and, and certainly more revenue than, than a typical, maybe restaurant, if you will. Um, but still, you know, still not, you know, big enough companies and still, you know, those individual companies, a lot of them have gone under. Thankfully, you know, we, we haven't seen the pain in that small Bay industrial sector either, but what has been interesting to see on the one hand, you've had all this pain and all these small businesses collapsing, and yet we've had there have been new, more new business formations in 2020 than there have been since 20 I think 2011 I think was the latest statistic. Oh, really? So I didn't, that's it's very interesting to see, despite all the all the pain and carnage in the small businesses across the country, there are a number of formations that have happened, and obviously not all of them are going to be successful and it does shift the risk a little bit, right? So if if I'm buying a commercial real estate property and I have, you know, 10 businesses, small businesses that are, that are five years old and they have P&Ls and, and, and they're, they're profitable, that's a less risky investment versus if I have 10 businesses that were formed in 2020, even though they're all interesting, it just, it's a different, it's, it's a different risk profile. So that, will have an impact on real estate as investors look at that credit, you know, kind of apples to apples evaluating the, the, the viability of those, those less established new businesses. 
that being said, it, it's starting to feel like there will be, at least as it relates to industrial in particular, I guess I'll leave it at that. I think retail is still a, a little bit of a different story because it's mostly the restaurants and then I guess the serve, some of the service inline kind of service space. But as it relates to industrial, uh, it does feel like there's going to be less less of an issue in, in that particular sector. I was going to say, just is there any the kind of leases that are the that companies are signing just given the context are they shorter are they at market rates or is there is there any impact on on, on that side of things for, for these new businesses for sure i mean that's that's the other aspect of it is that you know you are going to see you will see some softness in both retail and 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 potentially in the smaller bay industrial as as new businesses come in i mean the least the least duration um has not really changed but as a as a tenant, you have a little bit more, more negotiating power, um, potentially depending on on the market and the type of uh, underlying asset. Certainly, if if you're a restaurant tenant or in the retail you know side of it, you have a lot more negotiating power now versus pre COVID. Yeah, it's been interesting, and, and I live in Brooklyn, and um, you know, it's been there have been so many. Uh, you know, particularly, you know, talking about retail and restaurants, so many that have closed in New York in the past year, I think, you know, New York Magazine had, um, you know, kind of a heartbreaking um, supplement at the end of the year of like 500 New York businesses, you know, small businesses, restaurants, some that had been around for decades, many decades that, that, that shut down. But then recently, like in the past, you know, few weeks, even amid like this, you know, we're having, you know, again, another little bit of the rise in cases and, a little bit of wariness, but there's actually been some new businesses that have now opening in right near where I live, new coffee shops and new other things. And I found that, you know, even amid it, it, so it's been this interesting to see that even though we're not even really fully out of things yet, that like some of these new, like new, new mom and pops are, are kind of starting back up again and, and positioning themselves for, for the full implement, you know, I guess when we get to full vaccination and even more back to normal, but already, you know, they're, they're kind of out there in the market. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, we, I, we're seeing the same thing in Denver and other parts of the country. I mean, you know, just on the restaurant side alone, I mean, I don't know if you've run into this whole ghost kitchen concept, but a number of, oh, yeah. a number of these chefs <laughs> that were laid off from their restaurants that went bankrupt have either banded together or they found an investor to go start a ghost kitchen. That's just, you know, they're just, all they're doing is delivering food, but they're, they're back at it and they're, 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 they're aggressively, trying to kind of make that business model work, which is really fascinating to see how, how quick, you know, even uh, it's, it's terrible, obviously, I'm not trying to minimize again, any of the pain that happened, but of course, uh, to see how, um, how people are adapting and, and kind of getting back at it and trying to, you know, reposition themselves and come out, you know, come out with a different business idea that, that hopefully will be more, you know, successful again. Yeah, the ghost kitchen thing has been really fascinating. And I'm kind of, you know, we've written a little bit about it. I'm curious to see how it plays out. But um, in all sorts of ways, just I, there, I you know there's this one concept of um, a company that rents kind of like shipping containers that can be in parking lots that are like little mini ghost kitchens. Mm-hmm. Um, and and these are both for like launching new new. Um, new concepts or extending the delivery reach of an existing restaurant, which is, I thought like one of the more, the most interesting things, a restaurant that's normally on the upper West side and pre COVID was maybe only delivering to a certain block radius now has a much wider 
delivery radius, not because they're serving it all out of their the the restaurant that you may be familiar with, you know, from walking outside, but because of this ghost kitchen that's like 20 or 30 blocks south, that that's now where the, if you live in that area, that's where it's coming from. But you may not even know that because, you know, when you go on a delivery app, you just see whatever, right. you know, Nobu or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if there were ones doing it, but the example, but I'm just, it has been very fascinating to me, both from like a real estate perspective and a restaurant operation perspective and consumer perspective to see, what these ghost kitchens are going to mean and, you know, how they're going to stick with us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, I guess another related point is just the number of, and this is an e-commerce point and it's not a surprise. I mean, everybody knows that e-commerce continues to gain market share as a percentage of retail and it's the growth in e-commerce is significantly above the growth in brick and mortar retail sales, but um, it is, it's, it's also transforming real estate, retail real estate and and it's transforming in it not in that it's just completely eliminating it it's just converting it from from brick and mortar retail to industrial logistics and so we're seeing right more of that where you have these like you know downstream amazon related distribution companies or that are that are renting up space in what used to be a retail center that we've converted into industrial logistics so the, some of that is it's been interesting to see as well. Yeah, this, this repurposing and right the last mile you know last mile logistics and re- reverse logistics, all the stuff stuff again stuff that's stuff that's kind of been out there for a while, but now is much more such such a prominent part of the real estate industry um, and investment strategy. So it's it's you know. It is. It has been. I mean, like you said, it's not a. It's not a good time, but it's certainly been an interesting time. And there's a lot happening in real estate and and and, and navigating how some of these changes have been have been coming it's through. A, we are. This uh, the economy is transforming very rapidly as a result of COVID. And so, as an inst, as an institutional commercial real estate investor, your view and our lens has to be. You know how how is this investment going to be affected by the transformations that are that are coming to the to the positive or the negative and it's not all negative i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of positive as well and it's just you you've got to you've got to continue to kind of and, and things are in it you know, covid obviously has sped up a lot of things so um you know the the transformations is is faster um than than what has been historically so right and at the end of the day real estate is cyclical so you know it's all about navigating the cycles and figuring out which asset classes are maybe in a different position in in their you know in their respective cycles and that's that's kind of like you know where where firms like you you know kind of are are what investors need to help navigate all this stuff. that's exactly right and 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 where where you want to be on the you know on the risk i mean maybe maybe we like multifamily, but um maybe you know or or industrial but you know that doesn't mean that we want to be top of the capital stack we don't maybe we may or may not want to take last you know first dollar risk if you will um maybe we're mm-hmm. down a little bit lower our returns aren't as high but there's good income in the meantime there's good protection of that investment from a um you know we're just a little bit further down in the capital stack so there's a lot of you're exactly right i mean we you know, given going back again to just the broader organization and the platform that we have, 
the boots on the ground that we have in all the markets, it's it's just a lot easier for us to kind of pick our spots in the market with the right sponsors, where we want to be in the capital stack in this in this in this kind of current environment, which again, it's it's there's a lot of volatility, there's a lot of noise. It can be also there's a there's a lot of positive too, depending on your on your lens. And I don't mean that to to minimize all a lot a lot of the pain that that exists and um in in the broader economy and the broader kind of population well i've taken up a good amount of your time um just you know before before we kind of close out is there anything um that i didn't ask uh about that um that you wanted to share with with uh with our audience i mean i guess the only other thing i would say is that um you know, it's been intru- one of the things that was pretty interesting early on in COVID. We, you know, we were expecting a pretty big dislocation, um, but the amount of capital that that is investing and still sees the value of investing in U.S. commercial real estate. Um, if you look at you know the broader world economies and investment, you know, places to invest capital. Uh, the fund flows have not really have not really slowed down, and so we haven't we haven't seen the dislocation. We haven't seen the cap rate rises that we saw in the Great Financial Crisis, and so that, that that's been interesting um, for sure to see. You know how how stable this sector has been from a capital flow standpoint, and um, you know we we would just um, hopefully we will continue to benefit from that as as capital continues to find the U.S. commercial real estate as a safe long term investment. Um, thesis. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely been, you know, interesting for my seat as well. Just the how, you know, given so many of the problems ten years ago, you know, we're coming out of the financial system, and 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 it was so disruptive to to liquidity to you know the way the capital was flowing, and and this time around, that has not been a key feature of of uh, of our of our lives the past year. Right. Right. Oh, well, I think, you know, again, want to thank you for, um, for coming on the, coming on the show. I appreciate you sharing all your insights with me and with, with our listeners. Thank so, uh, thank you and, and, and happy new year as well for, for, uh, to you. I hope it's, hope it's yeah, good thank one. you so much, David. Appreciate you, uh, inviting me on. Gentlemen, this was fantastic. Uh, I, I heard the 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 surprise in your voice, David, when Sam shared that statistic about how many businesses opened in 2020 compared to the previous years. And I had I would never have guessed that. So I love yeah. learning something new every time I get on the podcast with you. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for being on the show. And of course, David, thank you so much for asking Sam to be a guest on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And of course, last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share this podcast with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Today's podcast was brought to you by Ryan, liberating our clients from the burden of being overtaxed, freeing their capital to invest, grow, and thrive.